Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Karen Milliken, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Nathan Wagnon. Hello, Karen. <laughs> Hello, Karen. <laughs> that, that sounded very, like, annoyed. You're annoyed with me? No. Oh, I'm annoyed with you? Yeah. What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> this uh. is true. <laughs> uh, that You're happen. like, I'm here with my co-host, Nathan Wagnon. That was my game show chatter. Oh. Wow. Didn't go over well, apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing today, Karen? Today we are recording a podcast with Dr. Daryl Bach, one of the leading scholars in the world on the Book of Luke. Yeah, I love that guy. We're excited. He's Have also right down the street, so he totally can just like come into the studio and hang out with us. He totally can. Yeah, so let's do it. All right, hope y'all enjoy. We are lucky today to have in the studio with us Dr. Daryl Bach. He is the Senior Research Professor of New Testament at Dallas Theological Seminary and has written at least like the largest volume on the Gospel of Luke. Oh, yeah. It's like a brick that you could throw at somebody and it would kill them. It's awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, my, so, son, my son, when it book came out, uh, complimented the commentary by saying, this makes a great doorstop. <laughs> so, anyway, I, my point was, is that it's an aerobics commentary. You can get in shape and read it at the you same totally time. You totally can, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just it's bench like, press it. Yeah, you know. That's a good tip for all of us. <laughs> no, anyway, he's written extensively on Luke and uh, is widely recognized as one of the top uh, Lucan scholars. And so we're lucky to have you in the studio. Welcome. We get to discuss COVID Luke. I'm really excited. <laughs> you know, he was a doctor. Okay. That's all right. right. Yeah. He wore a mask. All right. He said social distance. <laughs> yes, all right. Yeah. Even in the midst of reconciliation. So yeah. it's really good. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. We do live in interesting times. And I just want to compliment you on your Houston Astros face mask, mask that yeah, you have on yeah, right now. That's right. Takes guts, doesn't it? <laughs> that's a bold move. That's exactly right. Bold. Yeah. I uh, will steal no signs. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Your Astros have been kind of up and down. Yeah, exactly like right. win the World Series exactly and then right. they're all yeah. cheaters. No, I don't, we don't right. know. That's right. But, yeah. uh, but no, Daryl's a, a big uh, Houston fan of kind of all sport Houston that's sports, right? right? I grew up in Houston. So that's, yeah. uh, you know, so I'm a Houstonian exile living in Dallas. Living in Dallas, yeah. Right, which is a wonderful preparation for the Christian life because we're exiles, right? <laughs> totally. So, yeah. you know, so it's all trained. So if, you, if you've ever been to Dallas Seminary, if you go into the second floor of uh, Todd Academic Center, it's kind of where all the New Testament profs hang out. And I remember a first year student, I walk upstairs, I'm going to class. I don't know which class it was, but uh, you walk past Daryl's office, which I think is in a, you're in the Hendricks Center now. Yeah, that's right. But uh, back in the day, you're in Todd, yeah. and there was always some kind of Houston paraphernalia <laughs> exactly right. on, on the door. So yeah. uh, that's probably still true at the Hendricks Center. No, but. I have, I've pulled all that stuff down uh, because the glass. That's called we sanctification, a, well, brother. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, see, we've got glass now where there used oh, to okay. be stuff, yeah. so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it just doesn't work. I hear you. So, I hear you. Yeah. Anyway, so if you've been listening to this podcast, then you know that we've kind of been doing this this uh, podcast through the Bible, these various uh, series of episodes on various books of the Bible. And so today we want to tackle the Gospel of Luke. And for this first episode, I think what we'd really love to do is just unpack the context and the background of this book. Obviously, there's four different Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, which are the synoptic gospels. They read very similar to one another. In fact, in a lot of ways, they're verbatim. Called synoptic because you see the same things. So soon means together and optic means see. So yep. to see together because they overlap significantly. In fact, 
between Matthew and Luke, 96% of Mark is present. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it shows you how, at least how much overlap. About 50% of Luke is unique to him. But yeah, still. yeah. And then you have John, and John's right. like... Yeah. <laughs> Doing his own thing. <laughs> Doing his own thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like Watermark Church. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we we're doing our own thing, and a lot of people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're the John of the city. That's so. So true. <laughs> awesome. Welcome. I love it. Yeah. But with Luke, we have such a unique perspective. So you have a book like uh, Mark Strauss's Four Portraits, One Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beauty of having four gospels because they all look at him from a different perspective. That's right. And so hopefully by the end of this episode, we would love to just allow the listener to just see what is that perspective. So why don't we start by just talking about like, what do we know of this man? How do we know about him? And where does he fit in kind of the story of the primitive church? He was a sometimes companion of Paul. Mm -hmm. Irenaeus said he was always with Paul, which best we can tell isn't accurate, but (laughs) but he was a sometimes companion of Paul. We identify him through the we sections of the book of Acts mm-hmm. where he is seems to be present alongside. This is something that does get discussed, but the more traditional view has been that the we sections involve the presence of the writer, and then you eliminate all the companions of Paul who get named in Acts. Mm-hmm. And when you do that and strip that away, there are only a handful of people who are left who could be that person. And then Traditionally, despite the fact that there were lots of choices still remaining, Luke is the only one who's been named in the history of the church mm, as, yeah. the, as the companion of Paul who was responsible for Luke and Acts. And in fact, the interesting thing is, and this is going to be reflected in my remarks, is that Luke is actually half a story mm. because it's Luke-Acts. Right, when it yep. was originally written, there was volume one and volume two. And Hollywood was not the first to do a sequel. (laughs) And so uh, the story of Luke is not only telling the story of Jesus, but it is setting the stage for what happens in Acts. And the the two together are what Luke is after. Mm. So that's an important part of the story uh, because it is the only gospel that was written with an intention and an eye to the fact that something else was coming down the pike that needed also to be connected to. When we think of the different perspectives of the gospels, I tell people, I said, you got to put on your NFL cap, okay? And the after further review cap, <laughs> because, because what you get is like the different camera angles on a controversial play. Mm-hmm. And certain, you know, you're looking to see, did the guy get two feet inbounds, that kind of thing. And you're asking, did it happen? Well, certain camera angles don't answer that question right. for you. And other camera angles do. Mm-hmm. And so what we get in the gospels is what I call the quadraphonic Jesus, which is better than getting a monochronic Jesus. You know, yep. we get Jesus from various angles and each gospel is kind of doing partly an overlap with the other gospels and partly its own thing with how it presents Jesus. And we get a fuller picture as a result, just like people today are falling in love with 3D photos. Okay. I used to think black and white was good enough, you know, and, uh, and now it's 3D photos. And so, you know, that additional angle opens up things that you wouldn't see otherwise. That's helpful. Just to remember that when we're looking at the gospel of Luke, there is this whole other piece of it that often we leave off and I'm not thinking, oh, to help me understand Luke, I need to turn to Acts. That's right. Not an initial thought of mine. And so it's helpful to remember even as you turn to Acts, what you mean by these we sections is that the author of Acts is saying, hey, we sought to go to this place, or we happened upon this, or we went here. And so the author is including himself in a group of people. And so 
that's a good reminder of, hey, that is going to give you a good clue as to who's writing. The yeah, book. totally. And Luke ends with Jesus instructing his followers to stay in Jerusalem and wait. That's right. And then Acts starts Ta-da! with yeah. well, the Holy Spirit. It's like, a good, it's like a good season series. You know, you go to the end of the year and you have the cliffhanger. Yeah. And then the writers say, ha, 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 ha you got to wait another nine <laughs> yeah, months totally. to find out yeah. what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, well, it's I, almost I, like he divides it between Jesus's physical earthly ministry and then Acts becomes Jesus's ascended spirit-filled Exactly. The major player in both Luke and Acts is the Trinitarian Godhead. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to think, I mean, Acts is named the Acts of the Apostles. When I teach Acts, my point the first day I walk in is to say, it's a bad title, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's not the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of God. God. The Acts of God through the Apostles. I said, he's the major player all the way through. It's his plan that's being worked out. It's his instruction that's directing what's happening. Virtually every major turning point is directed by God in Acts. And then just to step back and show again, talk about how the connection of Luke ties into Acts, it's really a geographical structure. You start off in the temple, then you go to Galilee, then you march to Jerusalem. Mm. Jesus is crucified. That's the end of the book of Luke. You start out in Jerusalem, then you go to Judea and Samaria, and then you're out to the ends of the the earth. earth. And the whole thing is designed to make the point that what used to be centered in Israel and used to be about the Jewish people has now, as a result of the plan of God, pre-sorted out to go this way, is now about reaching the world. Yeah, The temple is over the whole earth. We've moved from Jerusalem to Rome, Mm. and we've moved from the center of the Jewish world to the center of the world from a biblical perspective in launching out. There's a huge debate in Acts about whether the ends of the earth is a reference to Rome or Rome is the center of reaching the ends of the earth. Mm. That's a discussion you could, you know, have coffee over and a few meals and and say, I'll order again and, uh, um, and keep going. But... The point is that geographical shift is actually at the core of the story of Luke and Acts. Luke Mm -hmm. is laying the groundwork for why that ministry is going out into the world, and then Acts is the beginning of the execution of that plan. Mm -hmm. Well, some people are probably going, well, in my Bible, they stuck this other book in the middle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So what? why is John there? Well, watermark comes between (laughs) Luke and Acts. (laughs) Okay. Now you're giving us a little too much credit. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Of course, what happened? happened was is that the synoptics were gathered together and then John as the fourth gospel was put at the end of the gospels collection and then the early church piece became its own piece and what scholars will call Luke dash Acts that's the way they will often refer to the two volumes got broken up as a result but at the beginning of Acts you get clear reference back to Luke because it talks about the second volume you know referring back to the first and And so they're still connected conceptually, even though they're separated physically. And of course, John starts off with John the Baptist, et cetera, so the watermark is still there. (laughs) And uh, uh, the way I talk about the synoptics is, I know this is broader than Luke, but this is important. The synoptics tell the story of Jesus from the earth up because the challenge is, the challenge of the church in taking Jesus to the world is this. They are arguing that Jesus Christ is the most unique human being who's ever walked the earth because mm-hmm. he's also divine. Yeah. Now, there, there, there is no other example of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's one in a gazillion. There yeah. is no other 
God-man walking the earth. And so this is very, very unique. Now, in the background of of the Greco-Roman culture, it wasn't necessarily unusual to call a human being divine, but it was divine in a very different sense. And this Mm. is important to understand as well. Because if a human being was regarded as divine, say as Augustus was or something like that, they went to what I describe as the bottom of the pantheon. Pantheon is where the gods live. So they got a room. They got, (laughs) you know, the house that has five bedrooms and three bathrooms. Okay. They're in bedroom number five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. They're in the smallest one <laughs> they're in the that smallest. They're doubles not the, as an office They're not in the master like bedroom, yeah, yeah, right. all right? But when it comes to Jesus and his divinity, he is seated at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. He is in the main room. He is part of the main deal. He goes to the top of the pantheon, mm-hmm. if you want to think of it that mm-hmm, way. Yeah. So that's a different challenge. So the synoptic gospels tell the story of Jesus from the earth up. You start with categories that you're used to, and you watch it dawn on people what mm-hmm. Jesus' uniqueness yep. is. In contrast, the gospel of John tells a story from heaven down. In the beginning was the word, and the word yeah. was with God, and the word was yeah, God. Yeah, this yeah. is CNN. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know from the very first verse. Yes. Super high Christology exactly, at the very beginning. Exactly. You yeah, know, he, yeah. t- he tells you where he's taking you right at the start. He echoes Genesis 1-1 and, and goes from there. Yeah. And so this is a very different portrait. So it got put in between. And in the process, for a long time, people treated Luke and Acts as very separate pieces of material. Mm. You know, they, <laughs> another line, they tore asunder what God had put together. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and we've been recovering ever since. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's so helpful to think through just the different ways that the Gospels are structured and how the author had purpose and intent behind the way that the book was crafted. And to know that putting John in the middle of those was not necessarily what was intended for the middle of Luke. Yeah, there's no like inspired, it's (laughs) not inspired that the book is ordered There's no footnote coming with this saying, well, there's another way to read this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. So talk to us about how do you view the Gospels in regard to like Greco-Roman biography? Do you think that they fall into that? Yes, they definitely, I I don't even think there's any doubt about it. You've got to have a literary backdrop in order for people to understand what it is that you're doing, even if you're doing something unique within that backdrop. Yeah. So what is Luke doing with the Greco-Roman biography, but he's also writing to either a specific person Mm -hmm. or one of the views is is a group of people, Theophilus. I see him as a real person, so we'll take care of that real uh, quickly. Then I agree with you, Daryl. <laughs> what you say, I say. Because his first name is Mr. Excellent, okay? <laughs> so, uh, oh, excellent, nice. Theophilus. So, you know, so if you pulled out his driver's license, it would be excellent, Theophilus. Yeah, excellent, Theophilus. And so, no, seriously, I do think it's an individual, but I think it's an individual who represents a certain kind of group. And, mm-hmm. and this, I really think he's a Gentile. He may even have been a God-fearer, which means that he may have come to Christianity Christianity through Judaism out of his Gentile background. Mm -hmm. And he's asking himself, am I in the right place? Mm -hmm. This is a movement that was originally supposed to reach out to the Jews. We know how the Jews are responding. It's not good. Mm -hmm. And I'm a Gentile in a mixed group. These groups don't normally get along. Does that work? And not only that, but Jews and Gentiles are pushing back against the church because of the kind of arrangement this is. Is that good? So there's a lot of reason to wonder if the program of the church is a good program. And a more important thing is this, that in the Greco-Roman world, to be new 
in an area of religion is not a good thing. Yeah, right. Okay? What the Greco-Roman world respected, particularly when it came to ideas of religion, was something that had been around a long time. Tradition. It was time-tested. Yeah. So it's the opposite of our world. Yeah, right. You know, in our world, we want to have... Novelty mo- is cool. That's right. Yeah. And the new is the better. Yeah. So, I, you yeah. know, I want Microsoft Word 2022 <laughs> and 2020. You know, that's, that's yeah, what totally. I'm going for. Yeah, yeah, all right? right. I mean, we even post-date it so that, you know, so you have that feel to it. Yeah. It's the exact reverse in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. So I've got this new kid on the block who could be viewed with a great deal of suspicion under a lot of pressure, et cetera. And Theophilus is probably asking, am I in the right place? Have I done the right mm-hmm. thing? And Luke is telling him, you're in exactly the right place. You've done the right thing. The suffering was predicted. The plan was always intended to go universal, to go into yeah, the world, yeah. et cetera. And every step of that move has been directly sanctioned by something that God did. This is particularly true in Acts. I mean, think about it. You've got the ultimate apostle to the Gentiles who's called directly by Jesus. You talk about a, um, an e-harmony date. It's Peter with Cornelius. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. I call yeah. on both ends. All right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's right. And you can even send... You wait here, you go to him. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and, you, and you can even send the matchmakers to make sure they get together. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, uh, so that's done on both sides. Yes, definitely done. Divine orchestration. Exactly right. So when, when they complained to Peter about you, you, you had that meal. With I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you do doing that? over there? Exactly yeah. right. What do you mean doing with those guys? You know, the, the tribal take. His answer is, uh, if you want to complain, take the complaints to the complaint department, and your gripe's not with me; it's with someone else, yeah. and I'll name him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's God. Yeah. Because totally. so, he was behind every step of this, even the authentication that Gentiles had received the gospel takes Mm -hmm. place in the midst of a sermon that Peter is giving in which he doesn't even get to play the organ, invite them forward, (laughs) and sing just as I am. You know, so I mean, he, yeah. he uh, God beats him out. to the punch. Yeah. Okay. And and Peter, being a good Jew, when he sees that the Gentiles have received the Spirit of God, he immediately thinks like a Jew and says, "You know, the only way a Spirit of God can indwell someone is if they've been cleansed." Mm-hmm. So God must have done something here, and he immediately gets it. And so he says, you know, what prohibits them from being baptized? He doesn't have a, you know, a three-week baptismal seminar on why you should get baptized. He does it right there. And boom, God is orchestrating all the key moves, and everything about Jesus' teaching is laying the groundwork for that. That's the gospel. And there's a significant cultural thing that's going on there with Jews. Really, I mean, you just mentioned it, but Jews really wrestling with the inclusion of the nations. Because they're of, unclean. Of the and the Jewish thinking, they're absolutely viewed as unclean. They're viewed as outside the people of God. They've been hostile. In fact, it's even worse than that. Gentiles tried to crush our religion. Totally. So yep. this is ultimately tribal, which makes another point, which is where, where it's going next, which is this. The real theme of Luke-Acts is to lay the groundwork for the fact that the goal of the gospel is to reconcile people. Mm-hmm. not just reconcile people individually to God, but to reconcile them corporately to one another. Yeah. The church witnesses to the presence of the Spirit of God when it witnesses to the power of reconciliation, when people who are far off and estranged from one another are able to be gathered together and brought, brought near. near to one another yep. and to God. Yep. Okay, it's a triangle. It's mm-hmm. not just a it's you know, it's not just a straight line. Yeah. The shortest distance between two points when it comes to the gospel is not a straight line. It's a it's triangle. A triangle, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
And so, you know, so there's God, there's the individual, whoever they may be, and then there's the groups mm. to which have been brought together that are also tied to them. You get the individual part of this in Second Corinthians five, but you get the corporate part of it in Ephesians, Ephesians two. two. Yep. And so the whole body is ex- being built together. Exactly Christ right. Himself is the corner. Exactly of that. Yep. right. In fact, it's even more powerful than that. Because in Ephesians 2, where you get what I call the Protestant creed, you know, salvation is by grace. Through yeah, yeah, Ephesians by, 2, 8, 9, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not by works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, and we stop. We stop. Yeah, okay? yeah. But verse 10 is, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The mm-hmm. whole second half of the book is walk, 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 yeah, walk, walk. Right, right, right. But the first work that is mentioned after that passage is reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You so, are one. So people yeah. who suggest that our concern about corporate structures particularly as the church witnesses to them, mm. is irrelevant to the gospel of actually cut out part of what the point of the gospel is. Yeah, like a huge part of it. Yeah, like exactly yeah. right. <laughs> so, that's just a minor detail. Yeah, just though that has really no implications for us today. Yeah, I mean, exactly you know, right. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think we come to the Being facetious, by the and way. And we, we forget the context. We don't quite understand the gravity of the distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's right. We read it and we're like, oh, Jews and Gentiles, yeah, 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 get along, move on with your life. But we cannot understand how culturally different those people were, how culturally separate those people were, and the impact of the gospel was radical. That's right. Absolutely radical. Well, and it takes something like the Lord dropping a daggum blanket full of unclean animals in front of Peter in a dream and going, hey, what I've declared clean, don't call it unclean. I need you to get this. this whole like... Would you order a shrimp cocktail for me, please? (laughs) (laughs) Let the games begin. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You said a minute ago, like the... Uh, the spirit of God cannot dwell in someone who has not been cleansed. That's and right. God is going, yeah, and I've cleansed them. That's right. They've right. responded in faith. They've heard the message. They're open to right. it. They've responded. And now they are one with you. Mm. And the initial thought, one with us? And yeah, in fact, in the passage in Acts where this happens, when they are clearly understanding that the spirit of God has indwelt these Gentiles, they went, <gasps> did you see that? Uh, I mean, that yeah. literally, it says they were shocked yeah. by what they saw. And so because they theologically understood what had taken place and what it meant, because they thought, Jewish, I, I tease people sometimes, sometimes to understand what's going on in the Bible, you got to put your yarmulke on the top of your head. And anyone who knows my hairline knows mine <laughs> very nicely right here. And so, uh, you know. Right, that full head of exactly hair that you right, have. That full yeah. head of hair, yeah, that I, that I once had. That you once had. <laughs> okay. All right. But Love I mean, that, that context is so helpful. And even to bring it back, that Luke was writing to Theophilus as a man who was raising his hand going, what am I doing? Is this the right spot to be in? Yeah. Is this okay? What is Christianity doing? And he's saying that you may have certainty. That's right. And the certainty here is not merely an intellectual understanding of what's going on, but actually a full certainty, a full a full confidence mm. that what God has done and what he is participating in is precisely where he belongs, yeah, both on the basis good. of what Jesus has done, that's Luke, and on the way in which God has worked mm. out what Jesus has done, and that's Acts. Mm. Well, how sweet of the Lord to preserve that account that we may have certainty. Exactly mm. right. Mm. Exactly right. Well, and too, I mean, this is traditionally just known as the gospel to the Greeks, to people who in the Jews 
worldview would have been outcasts. That's right. And that's why in Luke, we have such a flavor of Jesus's ministry to include in the kingdom people who are lesser than. And so you get a couple of spots where you see this really clearly in chapter three of Luke, where you get the genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam. Adam, Or you get the extension of the citation of Isaiah 40 that says all the world will see the salvation of God. Mm -hmm. The Isaiah passage says all the world will see the glory of God. So the, the point here is, is that this is intended for everyone to one degree or another. The way in which Gentiles are portrayed in the gospel is really, really interesting as well. A Samaritan ends up being an example in the Good Samaritan. A centurion ends up being the one confessing as Jesus is up on the cross. A centurion whose son is healed or slave is healed uh, is is said to have a faith like no one else Greater in Israel. Is you know, Israel, yeah. so you you've got yeah. ten lepers who are healed, and it's the foreigner who comes back and expresses appreciation for what it is that Jesus has done in the midst of healing. You know, ten people who need to be healed. So there are all these little hints along the way, mm. going, "Oh, you've got some interesting friends coming <laughs> into your group," and uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. and and you're expanding the fellowship. How would this gospel, when Luke? completes this, what would this have gone to? Do we know like it's dispersion initially? And how do you think that initial audience would have heard this? That's a good question. You know, is it sent personally to Theophilus or is Theophilus a patron for the gospel that allows it to circulate to others who are like him? Uh, I I think the latter is entirely a possibility. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if it were just intended for Theophilus, Theophilus didn't say, this is my gospel. I'm keeping it to myself. He he obviously circulated it and it it became part of what circulated through the church. So I think there was probably an intention for it to have a broader audience involved. And uh, it circulated and and the, uh, how can I say this? The ancient holy internet eventually picked (laughs) it up and it went from place to place and went from there. That's right. It went viral. It's been viral ever since. Yeah, roger that. Yeah. I love it. What would, uh, let me catch my thought because I just left my head, which happens sometimes. Stand by. Dang it. Bye. <laughs> Peace out. Can I, can I, can, while, while you're while you're figuring out where you are, okay, <laughs> I want I want to recover something that I had meant to say that I didn't get to say about biography. It's all good. Go about ahead. A, about ancient biography. Yep. Uh, the interesting thing, and let me start off by comparing ancient biography to modern biography. Mm-hmm. Okay, a modern biography would describe the physical characteristics of somebody and probably would describe their family roots in some detail yep. and would walk you through how they grew up and that kind Formative of thing before, experiences, before they get like up yep. to where they are. That's yep. not ancient biography. Mm-mm. Ancient biography is only interested in two things, what someone says that's an example or what someone does as an example. And so that an example can be positive or negative. And obviously in case of Jesus, it's positive. But the basic idea is, is that I'm going to tell you what this person taught. I'm going to tell you what that person did that's worth emulating. Mm-hmm. So for example, we have no clue 
what Jesus actually looked like. I have no idea how tall he was. I have no idea what kind of a hairline he had, okay? Whether his hairline imitates you or me. Or yours. Okay, all right. Uh, it's a contrast in case those of you, yeah. you know, we're yeah. audio only, so yeah. you're operating with limitations. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have no idea what the color of his eyes were or anything like that. In fact, you know, when ABC did their special, this was a couple of decades ago, they spent a whole 15 minutes trying to figure out what Jesus looked like, which I thought was a wonderful waste of time. And uh, He's his eyes probably were not blue. Though. That's exactly right. It could, it could be. He did not come from Sweden. That's okay? right. Yeah, yeah. And so, like uh, and, and so. Um, probably not a white dude. That's right. Yeah. Oh, you're going to really disturb me now. Anyway, so, um, so <laughs> you're going to get me off my That's track. Awesome. I think you're here. Anyway, so the point here is, is that it's what he does and it's what he said that yeah, counts. Right. And so we get a little bit in the various gospels about their roots because Luke in particular is making the point, although Matthew makes this indirectly, that the roots of Jesus's family is out of piety. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that um, Mary is coming from a family line in which everyone is worshiping God and is sensitive to God. In fact, Mary can express herself in the language of the Psalter. Mm-hmm. Joseph in Matthew shown the same thing. He's a very pious person who respects the situation, the very odd situation. In fact, the very, very unique situation. Yeah. Yes. He finds the conversation that we never hear that I would have loved to have had in Scripture is what Joseph and Mary told the parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep. just, just imagine. <laughs> I swear. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. Right. You know? Okay. So, so anyway, so the challenge of that, anyway, that, you know, that's underneath what's going on here. But the point is, is that the roots come out of a very, and then we jump immediately to John the Baptist and the Mm -hmm. setup and what it is that, that he is preparing God's people for, which is this reconciliation, by the way, the, one of the unique features of Luke is he tells the story of John the Baptist and we get more preaching from John the Baptist we do in any of the other gospels. And what he's telling people is, is repent for the kingdom of God is near. But then there's a section unique to Luke in which three different groups ask John, so what does repentance look like? What does that actually mean? This is 310 to 14. I always go to these texts because they show how ethically challenging the gospel of Luke is. And in each answer, God never appears, which is unusual because when you think about repentance, you would normally think that's about my relationship to God, but it has to do with how we're treating other people. Repentance manifests itself in how we're treating us. So that's that triangle we yeah, were talking right, about, right. that ethical triangle that shows itself. And Luke frames that as this is what it means to be a people prepared for the coming of the Lord, people who are prepared not only to think about how they're relating to God, but how they're interacting with other people, which steps right into the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's also another reflection of I tell people, we make the Bible far too complicated. Mm. You can boil down all 100, 613 commandments of the Moses law down to the one thing that says, love God with all heart, mind, yep. and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. And as an interim step, the Old Testament was kind because it gave us 10 commandments. <laughs> so we went from 613 to 10, 10. 
to two, which is actually really one, one. <laughs> when it's presented. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And if you can do this one thing, yeah. okay, if you will do this one thing well, you will be in a good position mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. And John's trying to prepare people for that. And then, of course, Jesus, through his death, provides the forgiveness and the enablement through the Spirit in us to be able to have us go there. Yeah. And so, you know, I, and I've just done the gospel in like three sentences. <laughs> and that's why it's good news. It's good news not just because I'm saved from something. It's good news not just because I've avoided something. It's good news because of who I've become connected with as a result of what it is that God has done. That's the story that Luke is telling, and that's what Jesus says, and that's what Jesus does is to take us to that very place. Yeah, which is the heart of, to kind of pull it back to the literary genre, is the heart of the Greco-Roman biography is this is what he says, this is what he does, and then the implication in the book of Acts is, and this is what's about to break out so that you are also- And this is what the church started to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the, and so-, so Like it, repentance has legs on it. Exactly you right. Know, you, it affects the world that we live in. In the West, I think we, this may be a universal human issue, I'm not sure, but especially in the West, we think of just individualistically this personal reconciliation with God through Jesus by the power of the spirit, which is true. But if it's just left there, it's so reductionistic that you miss all of the implications. Like of, most of the story, because most yeah, of us totally. are related to other people. Yeah, when <laughs> Jesus is on the ground, he's going, oh, by the way, and the poor and the outcast That's and right. the reconciliation that needs to happen. And the really cool thing, let's go to Luke 4, okay, since we're just kind of marching through Luke here. <laughs> okay, and you go to Luke 4, okay, and he's in the synagogue and he preaches what his message is, that the Spirit of God yeah. has you know, anointed him and he's preaching yeah. good news to the poor and to the captives and to the mm-hmm. oppressed and some lines say the blind add that and the good news is preached you know that's the point and he's performing this as well in relationship to forgiveness and then the very next scene is in Capernaum mm-hmm. where he does what he says so right. what I talk about is a word deed ministry yeah good this is a ministry which is proclaimed on the one hand but it's never left there it's always applied. And so you get a word deed ministry and what Jesus teaches and preaches, he also demonstrates. And he demonstrates not just to those on the inside of his community, he demonstrates it to those on the outside of this community who he's trying to draw into this sacred space that they currently do not occupy and don't have a connection to. So the challenge and invitation come alongside one another, which is at the core of the gospel. The gospel always has a challenge to it, but it also has an invitation. Unfortunately, today we lay it out in such a way, we wanna be so sure people get the challenge, they never even see, hear, feel, touch, or touch the invitation. Mm. And then other people are so committed to giving the invitation only that they have no idea that there's a challenge involved in it. So you gotta have them both together. And when you do that, the gospel is good news because the gospel gives you the enablement through the Spirit of God and the forgiveness that comes with it to live in a way you were absolutely incapable of living before you got that enablement. That's the good news. And that's Paul. Yeah. For I am not ashamed yeah. of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That mm-hmm. power is that enablement. If you look over Romans 1, 1 to 8, in the first three chapters, you got no power. You're dead. Yeah. Your trespasses and sins, yeah. dead people do not have power. Okay? At least the last time I checked. Yeah. yeah. Okay? They were quite dead and quite stationary. Okay? (laughs) And then then you get the justification, which declares you righteous. That's oftentimes where our preaching the gospel stops. Okay? Mm. So then the church asks, well, why don't we get effective? 
disciples? Well, because you didn't tell them about it. Yeah. You yeah. know, you didn't say yeah. anything about that. Right when part. the whole thing starts, exactly. you stop. That's exactly right. <laughs> so you truncate the process and you get truncated believers as a result. Yeah. And of course, six to eight is about the fact that because we have the Spirit of God, we can now walk in the ways of God that we were absolutely incapable of walking in in those first three chapters. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very important sequence. So when Paul says he's jazzed about the gospel, which is my paraphrase, <laughs> okay, I'm jazzed about the gospel because it is the power of God. It's the enablement unto salvation. Salvation is about a quality of life. It's eternal, not only in duration, it's eternal in quality. quality. Yep. So in that basis then, mm. boom, you open up what the gospel's about. Luke's telling that story. I love it. I love that we get to see it in the life of Jesus and as he preaches it, and then each letter after that's like, see, I told you, like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is what it looks like. Yeah. It isn't easy. Yeah. It's going to involve suffering because you're going to be pushing back in a world that's going to push back against you. You need to be prepared for that. So if you suffer and are persecuted, you shouldn't walk away whining. Oh, I can't believe I'm suffering. I'm a victim. No, he, he told you ahead of time this was going to mm-hmm. be the space you were going to occupy. Mm-hmm. So be comforted in that, then that what that indicates is you are doing the way of God. Now, we shouldn't be going around on purpose trying to get beat up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Don't but, get beat up because you're a jerk. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. It's a good but, gospel lesson. But if, but if you do stand for what's right yeah. and there's pushback, then you need to expect that's coming expect with it. the territory. Yep. He said, look, it happened to me. So that probably means it will happen to you. If they hated me, what do you think they're going to do to you? That's exactly you know? right. But, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power and you'll be my witness. That's right. You know, like I'm going to operate through you, enabling you to live this kind of kingdom life. That's right. And it will be a contrastive way to live, but we shouldn't be braggadocious or proud of it because we have been a beneficiary of God's grace. It's the grace of God. That's right. It's not because of who I am inherently and who I am. It's because God has done a work in my life that I'm trying to invite other people to participate in. Amen. We probably ought to shut, shut this episode <laughs> down. Like, we're all we got to wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> this is going to take some editing on my part, but it's great. I love it. Do you want to summarize and... Summarize. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Nick, Karen. You're so good at it. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke <laughs> to Theophilus, a Gentile Christian, about Jesus. Stay tuned. That, that is... That's what we covered. That's, that's pretty much what we covered. Yeah. Oh, wow. Come on now. We covered the gospel. We covered reconciliation. I was simplified. Uh, we covered its relationship to the other gospels in relationship to the gospel of John, how it ties to Acts. And Romans. And yeah. Romans, a little Covered Romans half from, of Romans. That's exactly yeah, right, because yeah. Paul and Jesus, they kind of understood each other. Yeah, yeah. New yeah. recap. Yeah. We covered the New Testament. Stay tuned. This is what happens when you bring a senior research professor into the podcast studio. It's just the whole I'm just a serious scholar, not a joking bone in my body. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Stay tuned because next week we are going to walk through the book and cover the major themes. So yeah, hang with us for the rest of Luke. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you like what you heard, then subscribe and go leave us a comment somewhere, anywhere, really. Social media iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Is this thing on Spotify? I don't even know. Anyway, (laughs) leave us a comment. You can shoot us an email too at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. And we hope you guys have a great week. Peace. Bye.